Greenbelt's got a very long history, although not the Greenbelt. In fact, Elizabeth I was concerned about the growth of London, that it was sprawling and getting too large. But the Greenbelt, as we know it, really, its history goes back to the late 1800s, especially with the London County Council. And the initial idea was to bring green, to bring open space to London's residents. And then that changed in the 1920s. For the first time, the purpose of the Greenbelt was voiced as being to limit the growth of London. The really significant period, though, comes in the 1950s, 1955, under the Conservative Minister Duncan Sandys, who encourages nationally uh, the development of Greenbelt policy. The Metropolitan Greenbelt is the Greenbelt that is in and outside London and that, that is supposed to prevent London's sprawl. It's successful in containing uh, urban development, London physical growth. Obviously the name green suggests perhaps rolling English countryside, a very bucolic country scene, but the M25 is there, it touches on Heathrow Airport, uh, there are lots of electricity pylons running through the Greenbelt. In other places, it is very green and it might conform more to our stereotype where we would imagine people rambling through open countryside. What we're very aware of is that um, the world has changed enormously since the late 1940s. The southeast economy is burgeoning and is likely to burgeon as we go forwards. And so we have a very different situation than when the Greenbelt was initiated. city is growing faster than any British city has ever grown, a million people in a decade, and we're not coming anywhere near providing enough homes for people. We need to provide at least 50,000 new homes a year, and we're barely meeting half of that at the moment. The Metropolitan Green Belt is one of the reasons why the land supply in London is really constrained. But I don't think that People would like the Green Belt so much if they knew that it was partly responsible for the rent they have to pay. You can't develop as many housing as you would wish to do because you don't have enough land. And we're seeing a rise in household size, which is partly a response to that. More people are being forced into sharing and more people are being forced to commute longer distances to work. London is a growing city, fast-growing city, so it needs some policy of constraint but it equally it needs a policy to say where development and growth should actually happen. Businesses in London think that a lack of housing supply is uh, potentially a risk to London's future competitiveness. If we can't house the workers that are here now, and if we can't continue to attract talent both from within the UK and across nationally, then uh, that will have consequences for the future growth of London's economy. We support a brownfield first policy. It is the first and best option for London. But the reality is that the backlog of housing demand is so high and the projections of future growth is so great that we think realistically brownfield alone will not solve our problems. Policy also suggests some other incidental uh, uses for Greenbelt including filling it up with nature and also allowing more public access. These aims we don't measure, so we actually don't know how successful it is in terms of being filled with more nature or allowing greatly increased access. If these are to be one of the incidental benefits of Greenbelt, 
we should really measure that. And there's a lot of debate about the fact that a lot of the land isn't very high quality. Um, certainly where I live, the Greenbelt could be one strip of land, one field, and it may not be high quality, but performs that really important function of separating communities. Local authorities are really tinkering around the edges, and they're also releasing Greenbelt in a, a sort of incremental way, in a way that doesn't really have any strategy. It meets their local needs, but it's not looking at it from a southeast London city region growth perspective. I think at the time when Greenbelts were first put in, in 1955, there was less nationwide uh, plan making capacity. In practice since that time um, a lot of cities have already got non-sprawl plan making ability which means planned urban extensions so in fact I think it would be difficult to point out a clear distinction between the green belt cities and the ones without. So some of the people who advocate um, against green belt, uh, against the green belt would argue that actually it's not very biodiverse, it's not very ecologically friendly because it's intensively farmed. It's a fair mix of everything and what people need to understand is that the green belt is a fair mix of many things and it's not just beautiful and green, it's, it's also uh, commercial and it's also used for wasteland and it's, it's ugly also. So we've isolated different options for the future of the metropolitan green belt that go from keeping the piecemeal uncoordinated development in the green belt to completely de-designating the green belt and keeping only the environmental designations. We've examined these options with six different criteria that look at affordable housing, uh, sustainability, relationship. Uh, in terms of long-term planning regarding to the relationship of London with the Southeast. And we've found that the option that was the most interesting was the coordination corridors that are already present in the London plan and that allow affordable housing, environmental enhancement in the long term. One reason we chose the coordination corridors is because it gives a big signal on the intention to make a big change for the wider sourcist planning and to suppress the land values for uh, future developments. So whatever options for change we have in the Metropolitan Greenbelt, we think there are two important things to consider. One is conditions and one is collaboration. By conditions, we go back to the criteria we have for measuring change. One is to capture the increases in land value. Another is to secure affordable housing. The third would be to make sure there's integration of housing and transport. Fourth would be to optimise densities. And lastly would be to ensure that the remaining metropolitan greenbelt, the vast majority of it, is improved. The second thing to pay attention to is collaboration. And here we propose a, a bottom-up approach because central government shows no signs of wanting to change greenbelt. We propose a pioneer corridor to look at one of the corridors to, to focus our efforts on. And because there's established partnerships in the Cambridge-Stansted-London corridor 
at the moment, we propose this as, the, as a possible pioneer corridor. We thought that main things we, we were uh, encountering were two arguments. So it was pro-green belt against green belt. And with this report, we wanted to bring a debate that was more constructive and try to bring the two arguments together and see like, if we are going to change the green belt, which in the 21st century, it makes sense. How would we change it without damaging what's good about it?